Hello everyone, and welcome to Expect a Miracle with Richard Roberts. Each week I bring you an outstanding guest on this podcast. And some of you I know are watching by video and some of you just listening to the podcast, but I want you to join me in welcoming my very special guest, Mylon Lefevre. Mylon, hey, God Richard. bless you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Awesome, awesome. Now, Mylon, been looking forward to this. Mylon, I've been looking forward to this. Um, I gotta, I gotta say some things about you now before we start. Okay. Uh, I can't think of anything you haven't been through. You, you, you were born into the premier pioneering gospel singing family in America, the Lefevres. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you sang with them, and of course with the Stamps Quartet. Uh, then, then you went. AWOL for a while, and uh, you, you, I, I'm trying to be kind. Uh, you, 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 created, um, you created different groups. You sang with the Atlanta Rhythm Section. You sang with Eric Clapton. You sang with, with uh, so, many, so many others. Uh, you wrote songs for Elvis Presley. You went one way with your life. Uh, you had a heart attack, nearly died. Uh, God raised oh, yeah. you up. You went through drugs. You got off drugs. You ran from the Lord. You came back from the Lord. Uh, you're now uh, a, a member of the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. Mylon, is there anything you have not yet done? <laughs> Well, I hadn't been to heaven yet, but I'm going. <laughs> Mylon, God bless you and thank you. I, I remember, Mylon, uh, the first time I ever remember meeting you yes, was back in the 70s. You were recording uh, in, in Atlanta. And That's I, right. I was in Atlanta and I was asked to be part of the backup singers. You were singing an Andre Crouch, recording an Andre Crouch song. You remember that night? I do. I came to y'all's concert. You know, you yeah, did a concert yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's the first time that I remember meeting you. Miley, give us a little update on what's going on with your life, and I'm going to ask you some questions and, and take you back through time and, and how you got to, and to be with all these people, how you got from where you were to where you are. Awesome. Well, nowadays, you know, we're teaching the Word of God, and we're, you know, I think I, I, I got, I really... And you know what I mean by this. I grew up in church. My parents, my granddaddy was a pastor. So my mama sat on the front row. It was her daddy. And I got saved about once a week in those days, you know, until I was a teenager. And uh, But I never read the word, and I wasn't seeking God. I went to church mainly because my daddy was a lot bigger than I was. And uh, so I went for the wrong reasons. And... I sat there and I never grew. I made the same mistakes, I, the same sins. I lived the same lifestyle until uh, in my teenage years, you know, I, I was writing songs and I was writing since my parents were gospel singers, all the music that I ever dreamed up was about the Lord. And, but it wasn't acceptable. I was born in, I'm, I'll be 77 in about a month. Um, I was born in 1944. So in my teenage years, about 13, 14 is when I really started writing songs. 1957, in the Bible Belt, you were either, you went to a white church, a white school, you listened to white or black radio. You know what I mean? Everything was segregated. When you're a kid, you don't even know what that means. Now you're talking you, about, you the, you're talking about the South. You were, you were born in Gulfport, Mississippi, isn't that right? I was born in Gulfport, but I was raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. My dad was in the Navy. When the war was over, he came home. Uh, we moved to Atlanta and grew up there in Atlanta at my grandfather's church. And, you know, I think 
in the 57, 58, right along in there, 1956, I was writing music and I only knew how to play a guitar. I didn't know how to play piano. I think maybe if I'd have played piano, it would have been more acceptable at our church. But the kind of music that I made, because I liked the rhythm of the black churches and uh, that was more um, syncopated. It, um, for instance, you remember, we both had a friend, Pat Boone. Oh, sure. Great man of God. Precious, sure. precious. Loves Jesus. Always has. But in the 50s, Little Richard came out with a song called Long Tall Sally. I remember it. And then shortly thereafter, Pat Boone came out with Long Tall Sally. And Pat Boone's record went gold, and Little Richard didn't get paid a dime. But if you ever heard Little Richard sing Long Tall Sally, because he wrote it and he created it, and Pat Boone, you know that one of them you can hear and one of them you can feel and hear. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know exactly and what I you wanted, mean. I wanted to make music that you could feel and hear. And, uh, and in the church, some of that music that you could feel, they called that the devil's music. And just between me and you, the devil's music always seemed to be black. And since I didn't understand the problem uh, in my youth, I thought it was me. They were just rejecting me. And so I kept writing because that was, I mean, the church was everything. My mom and dad, everything we did was in the body. As you know, we came and sang, my parents sung for your dad uh, in meetings back in Oklahoma. I mean, when we were teenagers, when me and you were young. But I grew up making music that was resisted. And until Elvis cut that song, nobody really ever... Only my mom would listen to my music. Okay, now, people may not know what you're talking about. To tell, tell the story of how you hitchhiked 600 miles to do a concert and Elvis happened to be in the audience. I, I actually had just got out of high school, joined the Army in June of 1962. Um, in October of 1962, my mom invited me to come to what they call the Gospel Quartet Convention. They held it in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And that's where Elvis lived. And Elvis loved that kind of music. He loved the Statesman and the Blackwoods and all those gospel groups. And he loved my parents singing. So he decided he was going to record a gospel album. So Colonel Tom built in, in the that auditorium, Ellis Auditorium had 12,000 people auditorium on one side. The stage was in the middle. And then on the other side was an opera house. It was an extra 3,000 people. So you would the stage was in the middle and you sang and, and made music in the round and Elvis uh, wasn't out in the crowd. They built a little platform for him. It was a little room on the side of the stage. It was about, I'm going to guess it was six to eight feet deep and about 20 feet long. And uh, he was in there with his producer, a guy named Felton Jarvis uh, in those days and Priscilla and what they called the Memphis mafia, which was, just a bunch of his buddies he went to high school with that were like street fighters. You know, that was his security team. And um, he decided he was going to record all the music of the gospel groups that weekend. And then he was going to choose the songs he wanted to sing and make a gospel out. Well, I didn't know that. I hitchhiked over there to be with my parents, you know, uh, that I got a weekend pass, hitchhiked over. It was almost 600 miles, which I didn't even know. I mean, uh, and you can't go. I was in 
I was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. You can't just get on a bus and go to Memphis, Tennessee from Fort from Columbia, South Carolina. I hitchhiked all night. I got rained on, man. I hadn't had any sleep. I got in there. I told mom, I said, I'm going to go to the hotel and get a shower and I'll come get something to eat. I'll come back. She said, no, son, we're going in 20 minutes. Get your daddy's guitar. I want you to sing that song that I like. It was called Without Him. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd truly fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Just a simple, childlike, uh, you know, it, it comes from uh, John 15. J Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You stay plugged into me. I stay plugged into the Father. You can do anything. I you know, through Christ who strengthened you. But without me, you can do nothing. So I sung the song, and Elvis had him come and get me. Colonel Tom brought me back into that room afterwards. I'm sure I smelled bad. I hadn't had a bath in a day, you know. I mean, been hitchhiking all night in, in trucks with people smoking and all kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so I went in there, and he said, I really like your song. You talked to me a little bit. It's real nice to me. And then he did this, Richard, because this changed my life. He looked at Colonel uh, Tom Sanders, which his name is manager, and he said, don't take the kids publishing. And I didn't know what publishing was. I thought you wrote songs and sung them. I was 17, you know, but the publisher gets the money. And hopefully, if you're the writer, you're going to get some of it. But that's not usually the way it works out. And Elvis knew that. So on that album called How Great They Are, there's 12 songs, and they're all Elvis Presley music except one. And later on, after I surrendered to the Lord, you know, I gave him my problems when I was a teenager. I gave him my sins and all the stuff I was ashamed of and all the stuff that, was, that I'd failed at. Uh, but I never gave him my life. I never gave him my hopes and dreams and my relationships and my money and my music and anything I thought I was doing good at, I wanted to be the Lord of that. And I just wanted him to control the stuff that was out of control. And, uh, but I, I actually gave him, you know, I went into rock and roll. The, the choices I had in those days was stay here in the church where they find fault with most of the stuff that I do. They, uh, the church didn't allow youth to have much influence whether it was musical or any other way. I, you get you stayed in the church where Pentecostal church and get persecuted, or you go out there where Elvis is and where John, Johnny Cash cut one of my tunes, uh, Porter Wagner there. I was getting a lot of cuts by people who weren't just gospel groups. All the gospel groups had cut it. 100, I had 126 uh, recordings in a year from none. Of, of your songs. And I didn't. Sir? Of your songs. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I had no idea. You don't get paid any royalties for nine months after the release of the record. So I had no idea that about within about two years, I started getting checks every three months. I, I won't tell you how much they were, but I will tell you that the first one I got, I bought a Corvette, uh, Harley Davidson, a speedboat and a trailer. I bought a... Uh, Martin D28 guitar for the and, finest man. Uh, two pair of Levi's and some leather Converse off <laughs> And that's just out of the first check. <laughs> On a Thursday, yeah. Paid cash for all of it. And here's the deal. I found when I moved to Texas from Georgia where I grew up, 
I, I was up in the attic getting, and I found the receipt for that first Corvette, a brand new 427. That was a redneck dream. I'm telling you, this car was bad. <laughs> it cost $5,700. Oh, my goodness. $5,700. Log, stock, and barrel drive off the, my, my heart, my first Harley cost $1,800. So I paid cash for everything, and and my daddy told me that my first check was five times what it, it took him five years to make that much money. So all of a sudden, you know, I had a choice. I was getting opportunities to do stuff outside of the church, where they treated me like a hero. Yeah, I mean, I was like totally accepted. You know, in the in the secular world, there's no hypocrisy. Because everybody's living like hell. Most of them are going there and they ain't make any bones about it. And that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I could stay in the church and constantly be criticized for your hair's too long, your your music is too loud, or you play the guitar wrong. Or it's got the wrong beat. Yeah. So I made a horrible mistake and I went out there and uh, and tried to take what I wanted. And at night, at night in 1980, it was obvious. I, I mean, here's the problem. I think a major problem. I know you understand this. You and I have gone to dinner and talked about these things in great detail. But um, my heroes, when I met like Clapton or Dylan, or you know the Almond Brothers, the Grateful Dead, out for the Who, the Stones, uh, two of the Beatles played on my record. I mean, when you meet somebody like George Harrison and he's living in a castle and that's only one of his five homes and he's, uh, uh, you know, has a stretch Rolls Royce that's psychedelically painted and that's one of his 12 cars and Ferraris and you know what I mean? Yes. It's such a crazy world to have a jet on standby. To have somebody say to you, if you can think of something fun to do this week that I've never done, I'll pay for it. Let's go. And I believe me, I, I thought up some stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> and we'll leave that alone. Okay. <laughs> but what I learned was I wanted to be accepted by those people. You kidding me? I grew up in a trailer. You know, all of a sudden I'm in a castle and a guy's looking at me and saying, I like your music. And I'd like to play on your record and let's write some together. And I'm, um, and I, I turns mean, your, when this turns guy, a fella's head. Well, yeah. And, and they offer you something. I mean, they're all into herbs and spices. I, <laughs> I didn't have any idea. I never grew up around dope, you know, and somebody offers you a joint or offers you. I mean, I was determined as a young man. I, the thought of me becoming a heroin addict was as foreign to me as, is isn't possible intellectually. And yet when you get to that certain place and certain people offer you something in a certain situation, it's like, do you want to be left out? If, if Mick Jagger and, and, and Bob Dylan and, and George Harrison are sitting there and you're at a coffee table talking to each other and they're all doing a certain drug and they offer you some, you want to be the one that says, no, thank you. Uh, I wanted to be accepted by those people. And I got strung out and it almost killed me. So the bottom line is I, I, I thought if I made enough money, I mean, as a teenager, when I met you, I thought if I make enough money where I can do what I want to do, go where I want to go, drive what I want to drive, live where I want to live, 
I will be euphorically happy. It will be the most amazing life. And there'll be lots of girls in there were, of course. And, uh, but when I got there, what I found was all of my friends were depressed. They were discouraged. Their marriages weren't built on love. They were built on lust and pride. They, uh, they were miserable people who had, they were churning out children, but the children weren't being loved and their futures weren't bright. They were going to be depressed and discouraged. And I found that what I thought was all glittery and wonderful was just depressing and discouraging. And I was dying. I got strung out. And man, I, I don't know how to tell you about cocaine is bad enough, uh, but heroin will just subconsciously eat your mind until you just, you're so far down in that lonely, cold, dark pit that you don't know how to get out. What was it that pulled you out? Well, I really believe my mom's prayers had a lot to do with that. My mom never stopped praying for me. In fact, there were times, I remember ODing one time in Paris, I was opening for the Who at a, at a, a festival by a communist newspaper called Humanite. And 600,000 people is a big gig, but I, I, I had never been to France. And in France, you know, the heroin comes up from Turkey and, uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's made from opium into heroin in Marseille is one of the places. So I got some stuff that was so pure. I'd never had anything that pure before. And I took too much and I was in the hotel room and I would go unconscious and I'd wake up and think I'm dying. And I tried to call my mom and of course they speak French and I didn't speak French and I had a hard time making a phone call, but I finally got in touch with my mom. And it was in the middle of the night for her. I woke her up and I said, mama, pray. I, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through tonight. And uh, she did. And I went unconscious while she was praying, but I made it. And I realized I gotta go home. I gotta get out of rock and roll. I gotta quit. I cannot, I went cold turkey. I got clean from dope and I did it three times and it takes about four or five days. It's a horrible thing. You're in the floor, you you throw up until there's nothing left in your system trying to get the toxins out. And then you just cramp, your stomach cramps anyway. And you just lay there for days and nights. There's no sleep, it's horrible. But I wouldn't last, I never lasted more than 10 days I never stayed straight more than 10 days, maybe two weeks one time. But the day that I got born again, I went to the second chapter of Acts concert. And oh, I had been going to Christian concerts. I, I remember because, them well. Yeah, which is why I came to Europe. You know, I mean, I, I was looking uh, for the real love of God. I was looking for Jesus. I knew he was the only hope I had. And thank God I had been taught all those years that my mom and dad made me sit on the front row. Thank God for that. Because when I was dying, I knew he's my only hope. And I went to that concert that night and I don't remember. I was really high, man. I was blitzed. And, uh, but I went in there and the second chapter, they were praisers. And when you praise the Lord, you know, he comes in and inhabits your praise. And so he filled that place with his presence. And I was sitting back there in the back, saying, Lord, I want what they have. I think that's the real thing. And I don't know how to get from here to there. And I need your help, God. And I don't know. I had prayed a sinner's prayer so many times. I don't think this was that. I think this was just, I surrender my will. 
I think our, what Bunk said that night was, and he knew I was there. He knew I was listening. He may have been just talking to me, but the Holy Ghost was talking to me, whether he was or not. He said, a lot of you guys know there's a God and you know that Jesus Christ is his son. And you've accepted that fact and you believe that, but you've never given him your life. You've only given him your problems. And you need to accept Jesus, not as your savior alone, but as your Lord and master. And I put, I was back in the back under the balcony in the dark. And I remember just putting my hands in the air and saying, I surrender, Lord. And man, I don't know what happened, but he led us in a prayer. I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I had always wondered if that was real. You know what I mean? I went to a church where it was, we called it the Christian Olympics. My granddaddy would get up and he'd start preaching. And once he got, let's God, once they got that rhythm going, you know, running man and take off and, and chicken woman would go to twitching and everybody would be rolling and rocking. And, and I'd be sitting there. And, been and there, said, been there, been there. <laughs> yeah. And, but here's the deal. I would ask my mama, mama, what's going on? Why are these people? I mean, I, when your granddad is the pastor, you came to half the church. This ain't like a bunch of strangers. It's like, there's my aunt. I know what she does on Sunday. I know what she does on Friday night, too. <laughs> These things are inconsistent, and I don't get it. And I don't want to do anything phony, but do I need the Holy Spirit if I'm going to live? Not just live for him. If I'm going to live another day, he's the giver of life. He's the one that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, I, I mean that night, I thought I, I got born again, got filled with the Holy Spirit. I stayed up all night to go. It was a Saturday night. I stayed up all night to go to church on Sunday morning because, you know, that's what Bug said. You need to go, and you need to go to church for the right reason. He and I had talked many times, so he knew my problem, so he addressed it. And um, so I decided, okay. I'm going to be the first one at church in the morning. And I was used to staying up all night anyway. Uh, and, but I was concerned that because I wasn't going to do any more drugs, I mean, I went home after the concert and I flushed all my dope. But I knew old turkey's coming, man. I'm going to be sick. It's just a matter of how long. And it never happened, Richard. God delivered me. I didn't know he could deliver you. I never yeah. prayed that prayer. I never asked him to because I didn't know it was possible. But I never went through withdrawals. Hallelujah. That morning, I went to church. Was that Mount, Mount, Mount Perrin? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Who was the pastor at that time? Paul Walker. I knew Paul him well. I, I thought it was sure. Paul Walker. I knew Paul yeah. very well. Precious man of God. Great man of God. Awesome. And... Um, I went and sat on the front row, and, and you'll enjoy this. As the crowd started coming in, I was the first one there. Jander let me in. <clears throat> so I went down. I really wanted to observe everything, so I'm on the front row. Man, I'm right in front of the pastor. And people start coming in, and it starts filling up. It gets full, and some lady comes and sits. And, you know, the kind of clothes I wore in those days, I didn't wear a whole lot of cotton. I wore leathers and feathers and bones and furs. <laughs> you remember how, you sure. know. And, uh, and I had a few feet of hair and, and earrings and stuff that, you know, didn't look churchy at the time. And so I'm sitting there, and this lady comes up, and she stares at me. 
And she looks at me and she looks at my boots and she looks at my hair and she looks around and everybody else and she scowls and everything. She just stands there looking at me like this. And I never did know what was going on. There was seats on each side of me, but nobody would sit in them. There was plenty of room. <laughs> I asked Paul Walker, we were playing racquetball about a year later. I said, man, the weirdest thing happened the first time I came back to church. I said, I was sitting there and this lady kept staring. He said, yeah, I saw that. He was sitting up on the podium. He said, uh, you never knew what happened? I said, no. He said, that lady been sitting in that seat for 40 years, and she was hot because you were in her seat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, man, what a comedy. Anyway, he forgave me and cast my sins into a sea of forgetfulness. He's never brought them up again. Then. He let me start over. And he sent people in my life to help me to teach. I mean, that, somebody gave me a Bible that year called the Living Bible. It was a green Bible. And it was the first one I'd ever had that was like we normally speak. But there were no these or thous or, you know, I'd never seen anything but King James. And I started reading that Bible. And for the first time, I started to understand it. And Dr. Walker got the associate pastor of the church. His name was uh, Dr. McLuhan elderly gentleman who had been the president of the um, denominational uh, school, our, our school. So he was a very educated guy. He had a special Bible study. I led so many, I led so many of my rock and roll buddies to Jesus. It was like we had this long haired, uh, you know, they called it the zoo when we weren't looking. <laughs> but we were causing a ruckus at the church because some of the more conservative people didn't like the way we dressed and stuff. And uh, we had fast cars, you know, it made a lot of money and we just looked, I don't know, we just annoyed them. And uh, so they gave us a special Bible study on Tuesdays and he would teach us for an hour and then he would let us ask questions. And if you read the Bible for a week and you never read it before, you got some questions. <laughs> that was the best thing that was the most magnificent Bible study that changed my life. Oh. You know, I didn't have a job and I had plenty of money. I didn't even need to work really. But Dr. Walker made me a janitor. He gave me a broom and I became the toilet uh, cleaner at the children's, uh, you know, they had a little school. And so I would go to the gym every day. And some of my rock and roll buddies took those jobs too. And then we would go to Bible study. And after Bible study, and you know this because you're a musician too. We would jam. We would hang out. We were pickers, you know. So somebody pick up our act, boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, we'd write a song. Well, if you write enough songs together, you you want to play them, or you get invited to play. Yeah, and you want to make an album. So, <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, man, we got this Christian band together. We don't really know what we're doing. We're all in kindergarten spiritually, but <clears throat> the one thing we did know, the only real revelation I had was. I am a new creature in Christ. I am not the same man that I just, that was disgusting to me. And I know he was to the Lord. He's let me start over and the whole world has opened up to that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do I understand that? Do I deserve it? No, I didn't even get it all, but man, I knew this. If I go tell other people and they put their faith in God, he's going to give them a chance too. Then God brought somebody special into your life named Christy. 
Yes, he did. And that glory to God, that made everything better. I mean, I would not be here today. Well, son, you, you married up. Let me tell you what. I, I'm, I'm sorry Christy's not on this podcast. She, you married up, Mylon. Well, you me married too. her. You married yes, up. I, you got to keep her. You got to keep her. My wife loves Christy, and so oh, do I. Christy loves Lindsay. Mylon, uh, there are a lot of people watching right now who have been through hell and back. And they may not know what to do or how to get from where they are to where they want to be, just like you were in the dark sitting underneath that balcony that night listening to the chapter, second chapter of Acts. Yes, sir. Would you pray for that person right now to help them to make the step that you made? Hmm. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, you said we could come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in time of need and find mercy when you need it. So, Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I lift up everybody watching today and those who are in a hard place who, who have had the perfect storm come against them. The, the devil's trying to steal their life, the quality of their life, their joy, their peace, their health, their finances, their marriage, their kids. Father, I, I lift those people up to you. And I ask you to reveal yourself to them today. I ask you, Lord God, to send laborers across their path. And I ask you to help them to, to take the blinders off their spiritual eyes, that they may see and know the truth. You said the truth would set us free. And God, you've done it for me and Richard. We know we're, we know we're, not, in, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with your son, my father, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who died for our sins. If you're watching this and you've never accepted Jesus Christ before, do this with me. Just pray this prayer and listen to what you're saying. And if you mean this in your heart, and I don't know how desperate you are, but I was desperate. I knew that I was in I was in a place. If you look around at this world we're living in right now, God is the only hope we have. These are last days. Time is short, people. He's coming soon, but He's given everybody mercifully. He's given you a chance today to get it all right, to change. Here's what happens when you get born again. I get what Jesus deserves. And he took upon himself what I deserve. That's the best deal on the planet. Will you pray this with me and receive Jesus? Say this with me. Father God. Father God. I accept your son, Jesus. I accept your son, Jesus. I receive the Lord Jesus. I receive the Lord Jesus. As my Lord and master. As my Lord and master. My savior and my king. My savior and my king. Lord, I take responsibility for Lord, my sin. Lord, I take responsibility. And I turn from my sins. And I turn from my sins. I repent. I repent. And I come to you, Father. And I come to you, Father. And to your word. And to your word. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And reveal the truth to me. And reveal the truth to me. I ask you to give me a love for your word. I ask you to give me a love for your word. And for your people. And for your people. And Father, I praise you and thank you and Father, for giving me. I praise you and thank you for giving me. 
for forgiving me of my for sins. forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, my friend, if you just prayed that prayer with Mylon, something sensational, something supernatural is happening Amen. on the inside of you. You may not be able to see it on the outside, but believe me, something's happening on the inside. If you meant what you said, I had a similar experience to Milan when I was 19. That's when I came to the Lord. I was going one way and suddenly I prayed the prayer like he just prayed mm. and my life took another direction. Thank you, Jesus. I was headed to Las Thank Vegas. You. I'd been offered to be a, a, the, a headline singer at one of the lounges at the Sahara Hotel. But on my way to Las Vegas, I gave my heart to the Lord and my life was Thank transformed. You. I understand the transforming power of God. And Mylon, I want to thank you for being so, uh, so visible today and just opening up your heart and sharing what you really went through and, and how you got from where you were to where you are. A lot of people don't want to share uh, the, the rough parts, but I got, to, I got to tell you, Mylon, you cannot have a resurrection until you have a crucifixion. Yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. Uh, the Bible says we have been crucified with Christ. The old man, the Amen. old woman is dead. Yes, and a sir. new one is born again. And that happened to Mylon. It happened to me. And if you prayed that prayer with Mylon, it's happening in you right now. You will never be the same. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mylon, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for being with me today. May I say one last thing? Uh, abso Ron, absolutely. Ab absolutely. If you prayed that prayer with me, let me say this. If there's anything I learned about um where I was and where I need to be. I would say this as humbly as I know how. The people who really grow quickly, I mean, you know, since we don't have much time left, we really need to grow spiritually. A lot of people get born again and they're on their way to heaven, but they never grow up enough so they don't enjoy the trip. They don't enjoy their lives because they don't grow up and the devil still pushes them around, steals from them. And, and, and takes advantage of them. My, here's what I would encourage you to do. Romans 2 says, be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed, that means changed, by the renewing of your minds in Christ Jesus. The more that you read the New Testament, I would stay in the New Testament in the beginning, and I would read especially what we call the epistles. They are the books written to the church, and you're born again now, so you're a member of the church. And those epistles will help you to change your mind. Once you start to get the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God, the quality of your life is going to raise exponentially. And you're going to be able, and other people, the unsaved, the reason I led so many people to Jesus was not that I was some great preacher or evangelist or anything. It's just they saw the change and they wanted what had happened to me to happen to them. And that'll happen to you. You get in the Word, you get filled with the Spirit, man, all the people around you will want what you got, and it'll be easy to teach them about Jesus. Thank you, Richard. And uh, if you pick up a copy of that Elvis Presley album, How Great Thou Art, one of the greatest albums of all time, you'll find that song that Mylon wrote on that album. And Mylon, I got to say one more thing. When you talked about those couple pair of blue jeans, those special blue jeans that you bought, you reminded me that back in those days in the 70s, I had a pair of blue jeans that had a, a, a parrot, 
an embroidery of a parrot that started just below my hip, went all the way down to my ankle. And I want you to know, I found them the other day. I couldn't even get one leg into them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Been there, done that. Mylon, thank you so much for being with me today. God richly bless you. Mylon, if someone wanted to contact you, how would they contact your ministry? Do you have a website? Yes, sir. We're at mylon.org, www.mylon.org. And of course, we got the TV show. Our our TV show is on the Victory Network. It's on Dish. It's on uh, uh, Drag TV. It's all over the world. We have a daily devotional. If you want to watch a video devotional, we got on our motorcycles. I spent five years going all over North America filming a daily we call it church on the run because it's only about three or four minutes a day. And uh, it's free, of course. The TV show is free. Most of the stuff on our website is free. What God has freely given me, I'm trying my best to give it to you. So if there's any way we can help, you need prayer about something, you get in touch with us, we ain't messing around. Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He said at one point, he said, we're not shadow boxing here. This is the real deal. We're fighting the devil and we want to win your life, you're who Jesus died for, not churches and religion and organizations. You're the one he died for. And it's all about you. So if we can do anything, and I know Richard's the same way, that's what we're here for. That's what we live for. That's what we're anointed to do. That's who we are and what we do. So let us help. We'd love it. Well, Mylon, thank you so much. And thank you again for being on the podcast. Please give my love to your dear wife, Christy. My wife and I love her very, very much. And I'll be seeing you down the road. And thank you for joining us today on Expect a Miracle with Richard Roberts. I'll see you next week with another outstanding guest. God bless you. See you next time. Lindsay's brand new book, Discover Your True Worth, Becoming the Woman God Created You to Be, is now available to order. It's for anyone who has ever feared, fallen, risked, failed, or been through any of life's challenges. You may think there's no way God can use you, but Lindsay shows how his power is made perfect in your weakness, and it can help you be all that God has called you to be. To request Lindsay's book, Discover Your True Worth, just go to oralroberts.com slash bookstore or call 1-844-828-1412.